This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, the busiest mixed race bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom podcaster in this podcasted game. Uh, I have to apologize. I'm really low energy today. I have been kind of recovering from a migraine over the weekend, and it usually takes me about two, three days to pull all the way out of it. I have little bursts of energy here and there, but I've just spent, you know, I don't know. I'm just still kind of tired. It kind of comes and goes. Um, I still have a dull headache. I'm a little nauseous, you know, whatever. Sensitive to light right now. So my energy is a little low. I apologize. Don't let the low energy fool you. I actually have a couple of things that are really exciting to to discuss with y'all today uh, before we get into the episode. Uh, the first big announcement is just one that is surreal for me, and, but it will happen every so often that I have an, a moment like this. Uh, if you've been following us on social media, you will have seen that over, I forget what day it was, like Friday or Saturday, um, Militantly Mixed hit over 20,000 downloads uh, of all time. And that just is so bizarre <laughs> to think that this show has been heard 20,000 times across the globe. Whether it's a complete download or just partial listen or whatever, the the idea that that this this show, this subject of mixedness, um, has been heard that many times across the planet is uh, is crazy. It's just crazy. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's exciting and weird and stuff <laughs> because I, I know I'm on every episode but it's 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 crazy to think that it's possible that I would have been heard 20,000 times I mean besides like obviously in your regular everyday life you will eventually be heard more than that but like in terms of reach on this topic it, it sounds crazy to me that that's happened but I'm very excited and and I'm happy and I, I look forward to continuing to grow the show so eventually one day we hit 20,000 a month you know but for right now, I it I guess hitting the twenty thousand mark started to make me think about what was happening two years ago. Now, when I was preparing for the show, so technically the show didn't air for the first time until July fifth of twenty eighteen. But around this time in twenty eighteen, I was finalizing the logo. I was reaching out to people across Facebook groups, mixed race Facebook groups to find people to pre-screen for the show. I was having Skype calls with people to see, to explain to them what I was thinking I wanted to do with the show and kind of having conversations um, to see what was happening. And, and in, over the course of sort of April through May, I was discovering what this show was going to be like. I initially started out thinking it was going to be a more topical thing. So like every episode, we talk about a topic of mixedness. And in the course of those early conversations I was having with people who were all strangers to me, they were just people I was meeting through these Facebook groups. I ended up discovering that what I wanted to do with the show, what I felt we needed the most was this opportunity to just talk one-on-one about mixedness in general, our, our personal mixedness. And, uh, and that's how the show came to be what it is. And there wasn't anything like it at the time. There were a couple other mixed race podcasts, mostly dead podcasts at the time, but they weren't talking about individual experiences. Really, they were more talking about mixedness in, in very broad terms. And it was usually by people that were not us that were telling the stories, journalists and and things that weren't necessarily um, multiracial that were sharing our stories. And so it means a lot to think that at the time I started this, there wasn't much happening in this sphere. And now there is more shows have popped up since then. People are getting ins- inspired to talk about mixedness since then. And it probably just has to do with like 
that late night search that all of us seem to have where we're just like feeling really lonely and isolated. And one day we get on Google and we're just like mixed race podcasts. And for me, seeing that there weren't any or weren't many was motivating towards pressing record. And for other people that have that have mixed race shows that I've talked to, there was something similar to like that as well. This need to talk about this thing and and hoping it was out there existing already just so that they could be listeners. But finding there wasn't anything deciding to actually be a person to press record. And that's where I was at. And and that's where a lot of the other uh, folks that I've talked to who do have shows now have felt. So it's just, I don't know. It's just awesome. I, I really appreciate that we've had this continued support and this growth, like the growth in the, over the last six months in particular has been pretty substantial. And um, and hopefully it continues to be really exponential as more people connect and, and find something in the show that speaks to them. In addition to that, with our social distancing virtual hangouts that we've been doing since the quarantine started, that's growing every week. We we started out with like a handful of us. Now I think we're about six weeks in and there's about 12 of us. There was a few new people today. And it's just like, I can't describe it. It's it's such a small little window of awesome that is happening on these social distancing virtual hangouts. You know, it's exciting to see the same people pop up as they start to come into the group every Sunday morning. And then there's also like the anticipation of seeing a new name pop up and waiting for their screen to light up and get to see their faces. And then there's just being able to see the grid of all of the participants and all these different mixed race faces. <sighs> I don't have a word for that. It's just like, <laughs> it's just, it just feels awesome to see. Cause I think for many of us, all of us, I'm sure actually, that's the biggest group of mixed people we've ever sat and talked to at one time. I mean, I get to talk to mixed race people all the time because I do the show, but I'm not walking around in my everyday life just seeing mixed people all the time. You know, there's a few people that I work with that are mixed, but that's not the bulk of our conversation. You know, I, I live in a big city, so I do see more mixed people than maybe somebody from a more rural or smaller town would see. But, uh, you know, you're not sitting down having these conversations on a regular basis. But here on Sundays, we all log in. And we get to see this grid of, of faces staring back at us that are all mixed. And it's just, it's just dope. I don't know. It's just dope. I don't know what to say. It just is. So if you haven't participated yet, I do encourage you to join in. And relationships are being developed because we're starting to see the same people. And we're getting to know each other. And it just, it's just awesome. I don't know what to say. I, I, I can't tell you. The only way to really understand what it is we're experiencing is to join. So if you want to participate next week, it is every Sunday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. GMT, 8 p.m. EAT. It's a pretty broad time so that we can, you know, hopefully get a big spectrum, time spectrum of folks. But it's awesome. It's it's so great. And depending on whether or not you're, you know, more vocal or less vocal or you're just there because it feels good to, to have this sort of environment. All are welcome and it feels great to have this experience. So if you're on Facebook, you can join the Facebook group and you can find access to the event link there. If you only access the show through, say, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you can slide into my DMs at Militantly Mix and I can send you the link that way because I don't want to post it too publicly anymore. Just ever since that security stuff with Zoom started to pop up, I don't want to I don't want to introduce inadvertently introduce hate speakers into our uh, into our group or you can send me an email at Charmaine at MilitantlyMix.com. That's S as in Sam, H-A-R, M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, E, at MilitantlyMix.com, and I'll send you the link that way. And of course, like some people come every week, some people come every couple of weeks, whatever the thing is, you know, just show up and see how you feel. And it is, uh, for me, it's not a forgettable experience. I will carry the joy of this little window of time where we get to do this uh, for forever. And then my last, my last announcement today before we get into the show is, as some of you may remember back in January, I destroyed my computer, uh, sadly, and um, I was trying to figure out how I was going to be able to replace it. 
And some of y'all just started dropping money into the PayPal. And then uh, I also was very much in, encouraged to mention on the show that I was going to have that trouble. And so about, I want to say it was, it's over a little over $600 worth. I, I have the exact figure, but as a, a little over $600 uh, worth of donations came through to help me replace my computer. And, you know, I've had to sit on it as I've saved up the rest to be able to replace my system. So I'm happy to report that with with y'all's support, I was able to finally make that purchase. Uh, my system, my new system is going to come next week and I'll finally be able to hook things up so I can use my microphones again. Ever since the computer was destroyed, I've been on this 2010 iMac that is very slow. It takes a really long time to edit one episode. Actually, last week's episode took me a day and a half of me sitting at the computer the entire time. They're trying to cut it just because of how slow this system is. Um, I, I, I can't even connect my mics to it. My microphones won't work. So I've been recording with my Beats headphones. So that's why the quality isn't as sharp as it normally is. So I'm really excited about being able to get back to using microphones and and a system that has enough speed to handle. Uh, also being able to use my regular setup, you know, all of my softwares that I use to improve the quality and stuff like that. I, I can really only use one of them on this system. So, But without y'all donating that money, I would not have been able to make this happen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I have to say, I talk to a lot of other podcasters. I have a lot of friends that are podcasters now, and they have all told me that they don't have nearly the kind of engagement and support with their listeners, even if they have much broad, bigger audiences than I do, um, than I get to experience. I'm, I know that I'm very lucky in the engagement with my, with my direct audience, whether that's in sending emails about particular episodes, tweeting at me, sending me DMs. That's one level of engagement that a lot of my friends don't experience. And then we get all the way down to the financial support in terms of Patreon, the monthly support and the when something pops up support that comes through and y'all just start dropping money in the PayPal. Uh, seriously, I don't know anybody else that experiences it quite the way that I do. So I want to thank everybody who has ever dropped some coins in the PayPal or participated in the the patreon sponsorship like y'all i mean it's you just make it possible to keep this going it, it does get harder financially to keep it going as the show grows but you all keep me at that level where i'm able to keep it up and and it just surpasses my dream of like what this would be you know eventually i do want to get to a point where this is my whole professional gig that i am a podcast producer and I continue this show and it's the only thing I do and I don't have to drive to a school every day to work in HR or whatever. But, um, you know, until that is my reality, your support is the whole reason why I'm able to keep this going. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am. I'm sure I'll be posting pictures of my, of my new system once, uh, once I get it. Okay. All right. I think that's enough. Uh, let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Dakota. He is a student at UCLA, and he and I started talking sometime last fall. He had sent me an email about a particular episode, and then after a while had sent me a um, an invite to speak at the Mixed Race Heritage Conference uh, that was supposed to be going on in May of 2020. Of course, coronavirus, all that is canceled right now, but um, he has assured me that come next year when we can get this all going again, uh, if I'm available, I will be able to, to, you know, accept next year's invitation, I guess. And I was really bummed to have coronavirus affect this thing. Getting this invite to be able to speak at the Mixed Race Heritage Conference this year was huge for me. It is exactly what I want to be doing. I love talking about mixedness. I love being around mixed people. I want to be involved in the empowerment of mixed folks in any way, shape or form. And so I was so excited to get this invite and then so crushed when the world changed and I wasn't able to do it. Like that was my my personal sad little moment of realizing the impact that this could have beyond, of course, the life or death element of it. You know, this was just a way in which this pandemic has impacted other aspects of people's lives. And, you know, it's a bummer to not be able to do it, but it was really a good opportunity to be able to just connect and, and kind of get to know Dakota a little bit better. So I invited him to to come on the show. Uh, Dakota is triracial, 
And, you know, like all of us has sort of varying degrees of access to his various cultures and, and ethnic heritages. And he translates all of that into his his work on campus with the, the various clubs that he is involved in. And, um, of course, in organizing the events that are related to the MSU organization at UCLA. So um, I, we just had a really good conversation. It was a, about sort of mixed activism, I guess, if um, that's the word I guess I would use more. I, I, I won't put that word out for him necessarily. But this idea, like I do with the show or like uh, Jay does and Dakota do, does with the, the mixed race student organizations that they do on their campuses, it's not just finding a community so that people feel like there's people like them in the world, but it's also like actively trying to use our work to empower other mixed people. And that's something that I feel very passionate about as the host of Militantly Mixed. I, I get the impression that that's something that Dakota feels very passionate about, which you will hear here in a moment. And of course, you know, referencing back Jay from a couple weeks ago, because He's in a similar boat, you know, being an organizer for mixedness at on a college campus. So I'm going to go ahead and drop it over to the episode. It, it It's so exciting to see that there are people, the younger generation from me that are getting to do this thing that I would have loved to happen when I was in college, but it just wasn't available at the time. And at the time, I wasn't empowered enough internally to even think about starting it on my own. So. I'm excited to see the work that people like Jay and Dakota are doing. And uh, if there's anybody else out there that are organizing mixed student unions for their universities or their high schools or, or whatever it is, please connect with me because I, I want to be able to share in support of that and, and let the world know that you are out there existing and doing this kind of work. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming our latest cousin to the Militantly Mixed family, Dakota. today is a person I have never spoken to outside of email, but um, we have been, I guess, communicating now for probably about six months or so, I think. Was it fall was probably when we first started talking? That sounds about right, yeah. From around there. Um, my guest today is Dakota. Dakota, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and, and let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Dakota Duffy. Um, I'm 24, live, born and raised in Southern California. I am one of the directors of UCLA's Mixed Student Union. I have been for a few years now, and I am Black, White, and Native American. Uh, so I think that's also, we, we haven't actually even talked really much about, about uh, your heritage and everything like that. How connected or involved are you in all aspects of your triracial identity? Um, here and there, um, it feels a little disjointed. Um, okay. Yeah, I feel like my, in the few years past I've tried to connect with my native heritage a little bit more but mm -hmm. it's tough if your family's not as connected right uh, yeah so I know my lineage um I could trace it back on my mother's side but that's like something I've had to work towards to like, get closer with and it's been a struggle for me okay. um and then my black heritage I look uh black so mm -hmm. I pass as black so that's something I've lived with um and worked around um and does growing. that feel not quite fully comfortable passing um i don't know i wouldn't say it created like some sort of like disjoint identity um mm -hmm. where i always like just considered myself black all the way up through high school and until i got to college mm -hmm. where i really had to like reanalyze that mm. um so like mixedness wasn't a thing i really like thought about outside of like novelty mm. outside of before college or before i actually explored my identity um, I was just the black kid. Um, mm. Did you go to a predominantly white school? Um, I moved halfway through my school career. So it was a very wild, um, very hard shift. I grew up in my first like school experience was in Moorpark. Um, so okay. it was kindergarten through seventh grade. It was like white, um, Asian and Latinx um, mm. were like the like predominant groups. 
and not uh, very many black people. Um, so kindergarten through fourth grade, I was the, actually through fifth grade, I think I was the only black kid in the class. So it was, that's how I grew up. And then I moved to the Palm Springs area from like seventh grade all the way through I graduated. And that was, I think, majority Latinx um, and white. And there were more black kids than the were in Moore Park. But in my classes, I was like the one or of like two or three every year. So it was, yeah, it was predominantly like Latinx, white, Southern California sort of um, mm. mix blend. So in, in presenting more black and, but growing up with, without that many black folks, you're kind of forced to represent something that you don't really have that much access to, I guess, in that respect. And, and so did that, I guess that's the disjointed stuff that you're talking about. It's not, it's just like kind of a jacket that doesn't fit all the way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't until I talked to mixed people that kind of understood that as well. Mm. Um, yeah. It was like, I felt like I was trying to be the like representative of something like I not really am super involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like trying to advocate for like a position you're like not all the way there. Right. At. Yeah. So it did feel like I wasn't like, I don't know, wasn't, I don't want, I hate saying this because like, it doesn't feel like right but it doesn't feel like i was black but i was at the same time mm-hmm. it was that's what i meant by disjointed it wasn't like there was no real connective tissue there i mean honestly that seems to be a big part of our story is that i don't feel all the way but yet i well like especially in presentation i grew up in long beach around predominantly a black and latinx student body a little bit of white kids here and there but I look ambiguously Asian Latin and so I'm not even representative of any of the groups that are part of my heritage. And yet I identified more as black than anything else because culturally that's what I had the most access to. So if I was around my own black people, no questions, it's fine. But if I go around new black people, credentials. So Mm -hmm. similar to you and that, you know, your presentation and your environment might be different. And yet you're still somehow representing groups that you, you just are mixed with, whether you have access to them or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all my, like, all my blackness felt, I didn't want to like overdo it. I wanted to represent that sort of like aspect to it growing up, but I didn't want to be like performative. Um, So it always felt inauthentic to be like, talk about soul food or whatever and things I like never really connected to. Oh, you didn't really uh, grow up with the no with even uh, food and things. No, because um, my I wasn't really like super connected with my dad's family, mm. um, and my dad's a kind of a nerdy like software engineer. Okay, um, so he's well, he's a QA tester, but same thing. So he, yeah, he grew up and he like passed down some of the things like music. So I'm really into like. 90s um hip-hop and stuff like that like west Mm -hmm. coast hip-hop and like r&b and that's where i got a lot of my music taste from Mm -hmm. um and all that sports knowledge and stuff like that like i'm a huge lakers fan and i've played basketball and football and stuff like that but beyond that it was like that's about where it ended in terms of like my blackness Mm -hmm. um my cultural blackness and things like my hair i didn't learn how to do my hair until i got to college Mm -hmm. um like how to handle like curly hair you had um, to be around other black folks or did you just use college as the time to like find uh, a proper barber shop and all that both mm-hmm. it wasn't like because my up until about because i wasn't with my dad past i didn't live with him past like seventh grade mm-hmm. um so because my parents split so i lived with my white mom and she took me to like super cuts and like <laughs> cut my hair <laughs> oh, no. there and, yeah so she had no idea how to right. handle that stuff so I had like, I had a buzz cut all the way through most of school. Um, I grew up in Afro for a little while and, but that was like the extent of it. Um, mm. So it wasn't until I got to college where I was like learning, like exploring the like ethnic part and target, the target hair <laughs> um, oh. supplies um, and looking for stuff specifically for curly hair and mm-hmm. seeing other black folks around campus. And yeah, and it was just a lot of like self-exploration. Right. It's it's so wild, too, because so my mom, although my mom is the Japanese and white parent, she is a hairstylist for black hair. And my dad is the black and white parent, but he was he did almost everything in his power to not represent blackness, except that he kept moving us to 
black neighborhoods and putting us in black churches. So he had this weird like push and pull with his blackness that mm-hmm. it, like he missed me entirely. Like I was just black. That was it. I was just black. Mm-hmm. And my brother, similar to my dad, really struggled with the the black identity and and all that kind of stuff too. The the I guess struggled with the difference between like urban black versus suburban black or something like that. My dad yeah. grew up very suburban like and then moved us to the hood. So I was very hood black. So my blackness and my dad's blackness like didn't match. So it was hard to inform my blackness, I guess, through him. I, mm-hmm. I was like informed, my blackness was informed through the other people that were around us. And with the hair, like I was that mixed kid that because my mom did black hair, I would see other mixed people and I'd be like, hey, <laughs> uh, why don't you come over? <laughs> like, oh. come, come over so that my mom can help. <laughs> so she would, angel. Yeah, yeah, like she would be there to kind of like help white parents take care of, of mixed hair and stuff like that a little bit here and there. Uh, but mostly her, her clientele was predominantly black. But at least because of my mother, I could identify like, mixed kids who whose parents didn't who was with parents that didn't know what to do the other part too is like some of us with black dads our dads weren't necessarily experts on hair either you know they had to go somewhere to get it done so it wasn't like you could necessarily turn to your dads and be like can you do something about this (laughs) yeah yeah my dad he had for the most part i knew him he just cut it short like real short every time and he was our barber growing up so he would just mm. like he didn't want to have to deal with long hair or anything like that so he just cut over hair real short he did have uh locks like throughout like early 90s like right before i was born and for a few years while i was um mm-hmm. a little like infant um he had these long uh dreadlocks because he was big into reggae and stuff like that and <laughs> um but it was like well dreadlocks and they cut them all off to go to his like computer jobs um and then ever since then he's had it short uh, so like in terms of like hair products and stuff like that it was a whole new world i had to learn uh, when i got out of high school and into college on my own mm. i feel like i've seen a picture recently of you on instagram that you as your hair kind of like looser locks yeah it is. It's, it's not locks i try to avoid having it like lock up but mm-hmm. It's like long, curly. I, don't, I would not describe it, um, but it's like loose curls, loose right. long curls. Yeah. Right. And that's, do you consider that as part of like a journey into your mixedness is, is sort of playing with different styles with your hair? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it explicitly was fueled by like my identity or anything like that. It was mm. just, I was like tired of cutting my hair really short. Um, and mm. like, I wanted something different. I wanted like a little flavor or something. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, something interesting because I mean, I remember some of the things I struggled with when I was young was like um, seeing like all these like people idolize like Zac Efron and like Justin Bieber and like all his like all the hair was like the big thing about these like white uh, like white superstars. And I'm like, I knew I would never have anything like that. So I was like, grew up, it was like, oh, I wish I had like hair I could like play with or something like that. Um, it wasn't until I got to college where I was like, I'm gonna do something about this. I see. Uh, yeah. So I grew it out um, and like figure out what my texture was and um, played around with it a little bit. Um, And we have so many more like dedicated to mixed hair, hair products now that we didn't, we definitely didn't have when I was growing up. You may have had a little bit more when you were growing up, but if you had access to it, but like there wasn't anything like mixed chicks or mixed Tina or anything like that for specifically mixed hair. Um, until recently so it's it's there's a lot more options now it's 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 a good time yeah yeah. so was it also in transitioning to kind of going into college and everything like that that you started to to look at at the different sides of you like including your native american ancestry and everything like that yeah college was like everyone says college is great for self-exploration and i agree just trying to figure out like my backgrounds and realizing like i'm part of these communities and i like have access mm-hmm. to these communities that should be kind of a part of them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, growing up, I was never really, I never really felt like I had that. Right. Um, so I took college as like an opportunity to like use that such great accessibility to these groups on campus that are mm-hmm. running free events once a week, like free meetings where you get to be part of that community and kind of explore that heritage. Did um, you join multiple 
like ethnic groups or did you kind of go straight into what you were missing growing up? Um, I hit a big like smorgasbord of things. Um, one of my issues is I'm like over-involved a lot of times. So, okay. <laughs> um, and when I first got to college, I just saw these clubs. I was like, oh, I'm interested in that. Let me hit up that meeting. And then by the end of like the club fair, I had like 12 to 14 like signups or like <laughs> things to sign up for. I was like, oh, okay. Um, not all of them cultural, but a lot of them were. So I was an electrical engineer coming into college from that okay. dream. That dream has long died, but um, mm. I was a part of like, um, Soles, which is the Latinx engineering group. And I'm not Latinx, but, um, I was like a part of their, like, I felt like I had a connection to them a little bit. Okay. Right. It's the California around other, like, like yeah. um, um, yeah, Latinx people. We have access to the culture growing up down here, even if we're not members necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. And then Nesby, the National Society of Black Engineers, I was a part of, mm. um, and then the, um, when I was most heavily involved in was ACES, the American Indian Science Engineering Society. All three were part of like a triorg. Um, okay. So the, they all like interchanged members and like all the members had like a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one I was heavily involved in was ACES, the American Indian one. Um, so it was a nice blend between my like Native American like heritage that I kind of wanted to connect with a bit more mm-hmm. and my engineering like dreams at the time. Um, How did you find out your ancestry like did you does your mother's family keep records or but they just don't talk about it too often or did you actively were you the one who actively sought it out and found out your um, lineage my mom was very proud um that she gave me the name dakota because um mm-hmm. she really liked um her native american history and didn't want me to really forget that um so i've been I look black would have a very Native American name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been kind of like sliding through with that. Um, mm-hmm. And in elementary school, she gave me, she signed me up for this like Native American history, like bonus thing. I don't even know what it was called, but it was like an extracurricular activity of some sort. S- sort of. Yeah. Like once a month or once every two weeks, I get pulled out of class um, with one other girl. Um, and we were like, go to this little tiny conference room with like a little teacher and like mm. uh, it was just us two and she would like I think there's one other person once but it was like two or three people students and she would like teach us about what Native American history was and mm. um, it was like a little bonus thing and I had no idea like how my mom even signed me up for that or why she did or uh, how she even heard about it but um, it was like a very it was a nice school district so they had a little extra money to throw towards things like that yeah um, yeah so it was that um, I learned about and then my mom's family also has like a online like uh, family tree because um, my mom's family is all from West Virginia, Ohio, that sort of area. Okay. Yeah. So they all have um, and that family out there like keeps like records of like how far back all the trees go. And it's like a hobby of like a couple of the, my distant relatives. Mm. So I like I realized like I like cousins like that I didn't know about and. Um, I was able to trace it back to like Tecumseh, who was a. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. If you know who that is, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, most people don't, so I'm just <laughs> glad you do. Yeah, but he's like almost. He's like I'm a direct relative, uh, direct descendant of his sister, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's like a great, great, great something, something uncle of mine, and I was able to like trace that back and down to me, and that's how I know like where my lineage is. Okay. Um, so in thought, terms of access here in California connecting directly not as much if you but if you could go back to wherever I guess that heritage was reserved you could have had a little bit more access maybe um I'm not entirely sure um I know my like family members aren't like registered tribal members or anything like that mm-hmm. um I just know I have that background within me okay. um and I it felt weird to like kind of just ignore it entirely or right um, pass it over. Yeah, I know my dad, my dad told me he was Native American uh, and I found out a few months ago that he did 23andMe and found out he didn't have any at all um, and that his like parents lied to him about that. Well, don't stop there because there, there is a thing about that. So with Ancestry or 23andMe, any of these organizations, they don't actually have a lot of markers, DNA markers for, for Native populations. Mm-hmm. They have some, but not all. So you could actually come up as coming up without it, but still have it. It's just that they don't have those DNA markers. It's the same like if you do 23andMe or Ancestry.com for your African heritage, it's going to give you a very generic like Nigeria, um, 
Ghana, like it'll hit you with all uh, most of the Western countries, uh, and then maybe South Africa and maybe Kenya because they have markers for that. But if you actually did African Ancestry, which is an unrelated company that only focuses on African DNA, they have 35,000 different ethnic groups and markers. Okay. So you can actually like really get down to the meat of where your ancestry is there. So it's still possible. Uh, and I learned this because of a guest on, on Militantly Mix, Allison Hart. Uh, she was the one who I thought the same thing. I was like, yeah, we have tails in our family. I go, we got pictures. My great, my great grandfather very much looked native, but he was darker skin, like, you know, black. And she's like, oh, that's just because they don't have it. They just don't have your tribe there. Uh, so you're not going to even, they're not even going to be able to come up with like a, you're probably, they're not even going to be able to do that because they just don't have Mm. those markers in their system. Okay. So it's still possible. Okay. Well, my dad's allegedly Blackfoot as well. Um, my okay. mom is Shawnee Indian, which is the Tecumseh part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have that sort of background. Um, but even exploring that when I got to college, I was like super nervous about it. And I hated, like, like, did you feel like it was appropriation in a way? It, yeah, a little bit. Um, okay. Like um, when I joined ACES, um, the thing is there wasn't a lot of other Native Americans in engineering. Mm. Um, so the rest of the board was made up of like Latinx people and like non-Natives. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the three orgs, it was like more of like a subsidiary of like a larger, like ethnic, um, diversity engineering organization. Yeah. Um, so that like called seed center for engineering and excellence and diversity. And then underneath that, it was like connected to that as the three like organizations. So if you under like the seed umbrella, you kind of get really exposed to all these organizations and you I get see. tagged, you get tagged to be on the board for all these a lot. So I a lot see. of the positions are filled with like non like people that aren't really related to that um, ethnic group, especially for ACEs, because there's so few Native Americans in mm. the college setting alone, let alone engineering. So I was, I think the two years I was on the board for ACEs, I was like the only Native American there. So I feel like I had to be an advocate like for that right. sort of sort of thing, but I had no experience of like of that. So I was like caught in this little like middle of like trying to be an advocate, but not knowing really anything, and, right. which, which goes back to me being in high school. Yeah. And it's kind of an awkward aspect of our mixedness too. It's just because the generations that preceded us didn't either have access to or didn't have an interest in discovery. Now we come in and we do have that interest because we're trying to figure out where our identity sits and we got to start from somewhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, a big thing that I've been uh, attaching to lately, and I didn't know this was going to happen, but I did do the African Ancestry database uh, one and that traced my family back to three different tribes in Gabon, like very specific. Like I know exactly what villages and everything mm-hmm. like that, which was, I didn't expect to be that moved by it. Like I, I kind of felt as, as sort of a, you know, descendant of African slaves, like this was my lot. I was never going to know. And so I didn't feel comfortable claiming African-American as as my title because I didn't feel like I actually had a bridge to Africa. I felt like a Black mixed person, right? And then I take this and I find out what tribes we come from. And it's suddenly like I was moved more to trying to understand something like like it, it answered some questions like oh it answers questions as to why my the men in my family are built a certain way because if I trace it back to the Kota people in Gabon they're actually built very similar to the way my dad is built and, you know things like that like I was, it was answering questions about phenotypes and things it was answering questions about like when I hear certain kinds of drums why I respond so strongly to them like it made me feel mm. like it was answering those kinds of questions but the biggest thing is that it, it it finally gave me that bridge to Africa. So it gave me a way, a path to search. Like now I can actually search for this identity to figure out like where, where, what, where it got started and where it got lost. And it, it sparked my interest in um, both indigenous futurism and Afrofuturism. So I've been getting yeah. like, I'm a, I'm a sci-fi nerd and geek and all that kind of stuff, comic book geek and stuff. So I started like reading a lot more of indigenous and, and, and Afrofuturism. And I've discovered in my journey of doing that on the African side, I actually discovered that a lot of Navajo, like Navajo is where a lot of the sci-fi, like cultural sci-fi is. And so I started look like reading more indigenous futurism from the Navajo nation and like the way they incorporate science and, and like history and narrative and all into one thing. And it's given me this whole new way of connecting to something, whether or not, like, cause I don't, I know what my family story is in terms of Native American heritage, but 
we don't have any registered members either. So it's kind of like, well, how do I find access to it? And I'm kind of finding access to it that way of like okay. the narrative side of it versus me being able to, because I can't actually trace anything. Um, and it's like, it, I don't know. It's just kind of this thing that has opened up a way, a new way of discovering, like, how do we connect to our heritage and our mm-hmm. ancestry is kind of doing that. And sort of this sort of, because we come from very storytelling based people, right? Yeah. Americans, African, you know, very storytelling based people. So that was my way of saying, okay, I may not be able to ever learn this history all the way, but I can find little ports to access. And if I do that through narrative, it actually feels pretty genuine. To mm-hmm. me yeah. Way. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I would ever want to like, I'm not like moved to go back that far and see where like the tribes are. Maybe I'll do it one day. Um, mm-hmm. um, it kind of weirds me out that 23 me stuff. I'm just yeah, it's, it's, it is awkward. Like it took a lot for me to decide to do it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Having like, you know, sending my DNA off to somebody else to like, look at it. It feels a little weird. It does. Um, yeah. But my, I don't know. My dad's given me a bunch of stories about uh, my background. Um, I know my last name Duffy is Irish. So I have no idea where mm-hmm. that came from. <laughs> um, so I, it's a, it's a mix, um, a mixed bag. Yeah. Cause the question could be, did your family take the name of the plantation or the people that they were owned by? Uh, I always hate saying it like that. Or did, were they descendants of yeah, yeah, somebody? Um, yeah. There's I have no way to trace that back as yeah. far as I know. Um, cause my dad's family doesn't keep records like my mom's family does. So, yeah. um, yeah, I only know faintly, uh, like a couple of generations back about who was what and, um, what they did. Um, I guess far back as I know is my great grandfather and he was like, a all I know is he was like a really big football player um, mm. in high school and college. And that was, that's as far back as my <laughs> knowledge goes for yeah. my dad's family. So in joining all of these organizations, I mean, I guess you're just kind of a gully guy. So you, you show up to college and you're just like time to absorb everything. And I'm participating in all these clubs. Does that mm-hmm. transition you into the, the MSU or did you start it? Was it there already? How, how, did, um, that all, how did all that happen? I mean, MSU was another one of the clubs I signed up for my like day one of my freshman year. So it was like you kind of walk by and it was like this um, cause it's been around for, this would be our 10th year. So when I did it, it was about year four or five, um, okay. when I, five or six, somewhere in that range. Um, when I first signed up and there was like this easy to see, like great branding aesthetic to it of like bright colors and like um, <laughs> easy to spot. And I was like, Oh, mixed. Sure. And that's, and at the time I thought it was like a novelty thing. It was like, I didn't realize mixedness was such like a, identity thing oh uh, so you didn't really identify as mixed beyond knowing that you were multiracial exactly yeah okay but it was just like like a fun fact sort of thing not really like okay. identity. <laughs> um, it's like oh yeah my mom is white like that's a like an interesting uh, fun fact about myself mm. uh, and not like a deep identity like attached right. to myself so i'd signed up and i realized when i got back to uh, my dorm floor we were all like, kind of sitting in like the general like common space and there were like seven and just by straight sheer coincidence that like six or seven of my like closest friends on that floor were all mixed as well okay. um, yeah so we all got like thrown in together and we all got the same email the same newsletter that got sent out uh, from the msu that's um, kind of lucky to end yeah, up with yeah. that many mixed people at one time that's dope. exactly yeah um so we were all like this could be fun let's go <laughs> um so as like a fun like group editing, we went to the first mixed union meeting and it was very small and very, yeah, it was a fun experience. And then we like, I got to the meeting and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of people that like have the same experience as I do. And then it was like, there could be something here. But I was so busy with like all my other clubs and stuff like that, that I was like, wasn't going to really invest in that quite yet. Mm-hmm. But one of the, so like freshman year, I would like go to a few meetings. My sophomore year, I didn't really go to a whole lot. I was like tied up in the ACES thing because I was doing mm-hmm. outreach. I was outreach director at the time for ACES. So okay. I was busy like setting up tutoring sites and for Native American organizations or in like reaching out to schools and all tied up there. Okay. Um, but my junior year, one of my friends who had, I'd met on the floor um, had also gone to a meeting with me. He was, he decided to stick around and like with MSU and he was now like director. So I was his roommate at the time. Um, and I see him like bring home a bunch of things. I was like, oh yeah, I remember MSU. Let me head to one of the meetings. 
as like a kind of a support thing and also because I was interested. And then I was like hanging out with that group a little more and like hanging out with the board and like then I was suddenly helping out with MCU events and then mm-hmm. and like suddenly wrapped up in this. Um, I gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> they hit my weakness, which is like small group organization, student organiza- organization. <laughs> Um, That's an interesting weakness to have. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sucker for running like meetings for t- groups of 20. So um, yeah, it was, I was like tied up in that and I was like hanging out with the board and like doing some things for them. And by the end of the year, I'd signed up to, because at the time my junior year, I was like taking a step away from a lot of the ACES stuff because um, mm-hmm. I didn't know if I wanted to be an engineer anymore. So I was like, I'm not going to be an engineering organization if I'm not going to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like, it was kind of like a free agent at the time. Um, doing stuff so um by the end of the my junior year i signed up for like their internship thing um Mm -hmm. and i was like helping them out with stuff and by so my senior year i was i think i was director of like emails competing communications and just like writing emails and like by then i was already like so deep in msu and i was like super like involved with all that and i was like during that time i learned like that mixedness was like much more than just kind of a novelty. It's like an actual identity. And I, my own, how I had identified change at that time. Mm. And I, like, I realized how important space was. And I was like stuck. So for the next few years, because I had taken some time from school and I was like going slow through the process. So, um, but the whole time I was still like with MSU, even though I wasn't like a UCLA student technically. Mm. Um, so the whole time I was like, this space is really important. And there's not a lot of people like tending to the garden, I guess. Right. Because um, the like, board members were all seniors so they all graduated and left and so there's a very few people like kind of keeping the space open um i was like i can't leave now because then it will like die out so right um so i've been ever since then i've been super involved with msu and trying to get wrapped up with all that so i've been director of communications so i've sent all the emails and do all the like seo and like manage the social media and respond to all the messages and stuff like that and then i eventually moved up to like a full-blown board member where I, you know, handled the meetings and stuff like that. And now this year I'm like, uh, I was organizer of the conference. Um, right, our, which and, is how we connected. Exactly. Yeah. Um, our conference organizer. Um, and this would have been our eighth straight year of having the conference. So we have a lot going on and I'm invested in 2D yeah. now. Uh, so are you close to graduation or will you be able to be involved next year as well? Or yeah, I'm about a year out. So okay. yeah, I've taken some time off just for my mental health. Um, yeah. I, had a, I had a bad stretch of like depression um, early on. So mm-hmm. I was like, just not there <laughs> for a bit. I didn't have the ability to like do all the stuff I want to do and like right. be good at school at the same time. So I was like, yeah. and I was like, my grades are tanking. So I was like, let me just take some time off and <laughs> take a time out. I'm um, glad you did that for yourself because that's not something like a that our culture allows for us to do that often, but we really fucking need to do something like that for us. So I'm yeah. glad you did take that time. Yeah. I realized I was dragging like burnout from high school where I was, mm. cause I'm me being Mr. Super involved. I was my senior year. I was taking, I think four or five AP courses um, okay. on top of being student by president. So I was like <laughs> gung ho. Oh, wow. You were like, you've always <laughs> yeah. been involved. Always, yeah. Um, I've been involved with student leadership since eighth grade, I think. So okay. I was eighth grade ASB, and then ninth grade, I was freshman class treasurer, and then I was sophomore class president. And then I did take a year off my junior year to like um, solidify my grades. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was still studying more AP courses and they try to get into college. Uh, mm-hmm. That senior year, I came back and was student by president. And on top of that, I was like partial founder for like the Clean Earth Committee um, on campus, which was like a recycling club. And mm-hmm. I was doing basketball for two years. And I was, been, it was always super involved. No momentum carried into um, college where I was mm-hmm. signed up for everything. And I was always involved and on boards <laughs> and on leadership and all that stuff. And I finally like hit a wall where Roddy was like, told me to stop and slow down. Yeah. Um, so it was just is this out. particular time hard for you in terms of not being able to be that involved because of the quarantine and everything? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I realized like any free time I have um, gets filled up by something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always doing something. I don't have like any free time where I'm like, let me just like chill. Like I have nothing on my to do list. Mm. Uh, yeah, having because my time was involved with planning the conference. So once the conference got canceled, I had suddenly had like a month and a half of free time, like empty right. space. So I've suddenly filled that up the past few weeks with 
learning how to um, do 3D art. Um, <laughs> so I'm like learning like 3D modeling and like rendering and all that stuff. I see. Uh, yes. So how is this going to parlay into your life outside of school once you do graduate? Are you, uh, is your path down activism or? No, no idea. I mean, I try to think about the future too much because that's like, it seems like a void. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I, um, I'm playing to switch into sociology. I'm, I'm a sociology major and everything but name. Um, okay. So a lot of the stuff I focus on in sociology is related to education. So I have okay. a, real, like a real focus on education. And I love like learning about education and um, doing all that and advocating for um, underprivileged students and helping them get through school and all that stuff. And okay. that's what drove me to do the outreach director thing early on mm-hmm. um, where I was able to like go in and um, tutor kids and like set up like um, site visits for kids in Boyle Heights that like they need a little extra help or um, things like that and like help them okay. put them on an even playing field a little bit more. I don't know if I'd ever be a teacher per se, like an in-classroom teacher because that sounds like... Well, like an stuff. education advocate, it seems like that's... Yeah, that's, that's more my... wheelhouse, yeah. Yeah, that's more my speed because I love teachers, but I don't know if I could ever be a classroom manager like that. That's the hardest job in the world. Yeah. My husband is a college professor and, and right now he's, he's actually teaching kids. Uh, oh. young young kids and I hear it and I struggle to even just sit in the room um, exactly. yeah. <laughs> to, to be around it so it does take a special kind of person but at the same time uh, education outreach is very important especially for people of color and underprivileged communities and stuff like that so having having an advocate like that a, a position like that I think is amazing yeah yeah because um, I did tutor in my like junior and senior high school mm-hmm. I love that um, like seeing the kids like have more confidence over their abilities and seeing them grow is um, outstanding. It made me feel really good. And it's like, Oh, I'm doing something here. And like, I'm helping this, like I'm changing the like course for this um, one person. Um, mm-hmm. So I can make it a difference. When I, I can't, I don't know if I could scale it up to 30 kids at once. Um, I know. Gosh. Five, day, five days a week. That's, that seems like, no. a, yeah, that's not for me, but <laughs> yeah, I don't have the personality for that, but no idea what's going to happen after I graduate. I, try to think about too much because yeah. it just gives me anxiety a bit. Well, plus right now the world is so kind of crazy and uncertain. So when you and I first connected and, and I don't quite remember your access point to the show. I'm not sure. I know I heard about your show um, through just chance because I was doing an MSU event um, at like, we were like recruiting new kids coming in, like new admits uh, over the summer uh, with my co-director Camila and she was I was like just thinking about it over the day I was like we just would you want to start a podcast I was talking to like talking to her and she was like yeah that'd be kind of interesting like it was like in my head I was like I don't know if there's any other like podcast about mixed race or identity mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like oh, let me check and then I like searched it on like a google podcast and there was like 40 <laughs> but like yours was like for the first top two or three that popped up on there mm-hmm. so I was like oh let me give these a listen to see what they're like so and I was living in Sherman Oaks at the time and like commuting down the west Westwood, so that was like Ooh. a yeah it was a nasty bus ride <laughs> that was a rough one <laughs> yeah so i was taking the not metro. right now it's not but no no it was yeah it was. <laughs> yeah yeah um so it was a horrible i was taking the metro too so it was like two or three buses a day coming down mm. here and i was like i was like i need someone to like entertain myself so i get these like hour-long like totally mixed podcasts like hear what this like charmaine will talk about <laughs> um so i was like oh this is look really good and then i like then became like started listening like every week and all of that. So I don't remember the first episode I listened to, but okay. it was sometime. I, I, I'm trying to remember like what was our first connect. And I, I think it might've been before the invite to participate in the conference. I, I feel like there was a connection Maybe. before that, but I, I, I don't quite remember, but I do remember being in the fall and I think, or no, no, it might've been, you know what? It was my birthday. That's what it was. Mm. Um, so I do think we may have interacted beforehand, but it was my birthday, which was like the worst day. It was just a bad day. And I get your email that invited me to participate in your conference. And it just like flipped everything around. Like, mm, it was just, good. it was just like such a big thing. And I was so excited to, to, be considered for something like that and and then of course you know the world all fell apart a couple months ago but but to know that like because I didn't have events I didn't have things like that when I was in college there were there was uh, heritage clubs and things like that but um, there wasn't 
any mixed race or, or anything like that. I, I would tend to go towards the, the black student unions, sometimes the Asian student unions, but I was very unwelcomed, I found, mm-hmm. in, the Asian, in the Asian ones, because not only being mixed, um, you know, even amongst the Asian groups, you usually segmented off into whatever your groups were. And where I was going to school, Japanese just weren't that big of a population, you know, in comparison to other Asians. So I never really felt comfortable. And the black student unions, I would feel more comfortable, but then it would inevitably come up. Mm-hmm. The being mixed made me not enough of, or those of us that were mixed, you know, there was something off about us, you know, in comparison mm-hmm. to the major group, or that we weren't going to deal with the same things as a as a the rest of the community was going to deal with. And so I didn't even think to try to start something or or anything like that. I would just kind of hope something like that existed. So now to know that there are multiple colleges that do have these organizations, like that makes me really excited. We recently had a guest on the show, Jay, who started the Mixed Race Student Coalition at UVA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm connected with, but haven't communicated with uh, Washington State University. They have a, yeah. a mixed race group as well. So it's like, it's nice to know that this is starting to pop up and starting to exist. And I mean, to find out that this was supposed to be the eighth annual heritage conference at UCLA, I was like, where, where have I been? Like, <laughs> you know, like where I did not know that these things um, had been in existence. And I mean, it is after my college time, but but still that, that they exist uh, makes me happy. And I think how encouraged I was just to be invited as a speaker. I, you know, I can't imagine what it's like for students to know that they can go to this place and they're going to see other mixed race people like that, that always fuels me. That's always given me a lot of energy, which is why I do the show. And at the time I started doing the show, there wasn't really any podcasts. I mean, there are now, and some of us know each other and are connected and everything. And so like for the ones that I I am partnered up with or, or have, you know, big guests on their show, they've been guests on my show. There's so much fulfillment in that sort of organization, even though it's not like necessarily weekly meetings or anything like that. It's just knowing that there's a place that I can go to if I if I'm having a mixed day, good or bad, you know, I I think that that is, um, well, for me, it's, I stole this also from Allison Hart, who I've already mentioned once this episode, like it was, it's medicine. Like it, it, it mm. makes me feel it's healed a lot of things that I didn't realize I was really struggling with before I started talking to people about being mixed. And now like my biggest ex- excitement is seeing how much diversity there is within our mixedness. You know, I did grow up around a lot of mixed people, but they were predominantly mixed with black in some way, shape or form. Now through the show, I have access to people who are mixed with all kinds of things I'm not mixed with. And I get to learn more about what the varying identities are that are out there and how people deal with, you know, issues of passing or lack of access, but still feeling like they want access, you know, across the board, like we get to talk about so many different aspects of this. And and if not for community, if not for organization, like what you're doing, it's a struggle. And I can say that for for real, because I grew up in that struggle, in that lack of community. Yeah. I was fortunate to like inherited the space. Um, I know our MSU started when um, a couple of our, our founding members were like, they had both been in their own like monoracial organizations, but they hadn't mm-hmm. found like a good space to talk about their mixed identity, which mm-hmm. like, cause they were a bunch of other people that just didn't quite get it. Um, mm-hmm. So, and they had like, I forget how they had met, but they were like sitting in a dining hall and they're like, they're both like commiserating with each other about like, like not having a space to talk about that sort of thing. So Camila and Tara, yeah, they had like talked about like they both had the same issues and they're like they they're both go getters, I guess. They're like, oh, let's go ahead and like see what we can do about I'm starting this up. Um, and at the time, there was like Hoppa Club, um, like okay. which was like a smaller like um, social club about for like mixed white and Asians, but it was like kind of dying out and it wasn't really talking about like deep issues about mixedness. It was more like a social club, like the novelty thing I was talking about. Right. Uh, but they weren't really like, still weren't filling that space. So Camila and Tar at the time had like um, kind of taken over and like inherited it and then absorbed uh, Hopper Club in MSU. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and that was about ten years ago this year. So they started it up and they it's been kind of hanging on ever since. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So and I yeah. Hopefully through- the COVID situation doesn't kind of dismantle some of these organizations that do provide community to people when people can return. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're trying. We're trying to keep it open. Um, it won't die under my watch. 
I'll tell you nice. that much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've been, I know how important the space is because every year I like go to the first meeting and like we get someone that one or two people that cry because it's the first time they've like had a space where they can open up about their mixedness and like Honestly, accepted. Yes. Yeah. That's happened with me on the show too, with guests that like partway through once they've realized it's the first time they've talked to another mixed person about being mixed, it, mm-hmm. be, it becomes, it, it, it switches from being recording a show to being a therapy section. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So every year we get like a contingency of people that are like first time they've ever, ever opened up about their mixedness. So our first meeting every year, first one or two meetings every year is just like, let it out. <laughs> like, we, don't yeah, have like, we don't have, we don't have, <laughs> yeah, we don't have anything planned, like no real like events. It's just like, come to this meeting, like, let's talk. So people like, See, that's awesome. Went up, open up and like, yeah, I felt like this way, but never really felt less. We hear the same thing every year mm-hmm. <laughs> from different people, like the same sort of like, Oh, I was never really accepted. Like I was in between two different cultures. One of my parents didn't really want me to feel this way. I was like, we do the same like things every single yeah. year. Yeah, the hits. Exactly. <laughs> the mixed race hits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I I know how important the space is, and that's why I like work so hard to keep it open and all of that. Awesome. And the conference um, is more of a like culminating event. Um, mm-hmm. It's more of a community based. Like of course students are invited, but we open it up to the wider community, mm-hmm. and that's always like a big thing um, for community members that come every year and they're like, it's their one time a year. It's like a mixed family reunion almost. Yeah. A lot of people come back and like get to talk to each other again and like see each other. And I'm so, I'm so upset. that I know. I'm so bummed. Yeah. Well, I'll hold on too. If you're holding on, I'm holding on. So hopefully next year we can go back to normal. (laughs) Yeah. We're just pushing it to next year. I figured you'd be a really great guest for that. Um, I was so like, it tapped just the right little nugget of my intersection when you, when you sent me the message and everything. So yeah. Yeah. I knew you're like a perfect guest for it. And I'm (laughs) so like uh, excited to have you on. And it just didn't work out, but we pushed it next year. So yeah. And um, in any way that I can be helpful too, like you feel free to always reach out to me also. Cause I, I mean, this is, this is the, this is where passion meets productivity. I think for me in doing this show is that I'm very passionate about being a mixed race person, but also mixed race issues and how to help mixed race people in the same way that like you talk about with your education, outreach and activism, it's like you don't necessarily want to teach, but you do want to provide space and access, you know, for people who may not have access. I feel the same way about the mixedness, you know, if people Mm -hmm. aren't feeling like they can be their whole mixed ass selves, then how do I help make that possible? You know, how do I empower people to be able to live out loud if they if they want to and and know that you're going to be uncomfortable sometimes and you're going to struggle sometimes but ultimately if you can find that nice balance within within yourself that you can just be your mixed ass self and and that like i said that topic was very much hitting at at the nugget of exactly where i ride like the mm-hmm. line i toe um so however i can be helpful at any time, I would definitely want to be involved. I mean, I know I'm not affiliated with UCLA or anything, but um, I will be whatever helpful I can because yeah. I, I think it's important. Yeah, I really um, appreciate that. We are coming close to the to the end of this, though. It does fly by. But uh, yeah. before we wrap up, uh, I do like to ask all my guests at the, at the end of the episode, what do they love most about being mixed? And since your journey has kind of gone from sort of no access to claiming your access, what have you found in this time that you love most about being mixed? I thought about this because I knew you were going to ask. Um, <laughs> I, I'm an avid listener. I think my, my favorite part about being mixed is having multiple perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always tried to put myself in the shoes of other people and being mixed and having multiple backgrounds makes that so much easier to understand like where these people are coming from and, mm-hmm. um, trying to meet them where they're at is like fueled by, um, being mixed and having uh, multiple perspectives and growing up with different kinds of people and mm-hmm. seeing like understanding their backgrounds and why they think the way they do and act the way they do. Yeah. Um, so, so just having multiple perspectives, um, is something that seems like a superpower. Almost. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Why don't you plug how people can find MSU, you, whatever? Yeah, so um, MSU, um, UCLA's Mixed Student Union, we're doing events. Um, we're basically mostly just a student organization, but you're f- free to join us and see what we're up to. Um, we're most active on Instagram um, at UCLA underscore MSU, or um, we have a big, really pretty Facebook page as well called um, UCLA or Mixed Student Union at UCLA. Mm-hmm. So 
And if you want to follow me, I'm much less interesting, but um, <laughs> my Instagram is just at Dakota underscore Duffy. Yeah. So I will put the links to the, the Instagram and the Facebook for the MSU and the show notes and everything for everybody. I mean, that's it. We're thank you so much for, for coming on and, and also just being a providing a space for mixed students to be able to to feel like they have a community that they can access community work is by far something that i value over uh, almost anything you know militantly mixed is is named militantly mixed because i do believe in racial militancy in service to community and things like that. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. So I, I just, I thank you so much for what you're doing for mixed folks out there that need a place. Yeah. Likewise. Thank you for having this podcast. Um, yeah. Having a voice <laughs> in, the, in the audio sphere. Yeah. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. It is. It is. I, I Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one you can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantly mixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantly mixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.